Hola, ¿qué tal? ¿Cómo están? Bienvenidos a todos a este nuevo episodio del podcast de Bloomingdale Church. Mi nombre es Daniel y estoy aquí con mi hija... ¡Renata! Uh-oh. We were supposed to do it in English. Oops. Well, welcome everyone. My name is Dan Marcello. Welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. I'm here with my daughter... Renata! And we hope you enjoy this episode. everyone and welcome to the Bloomingdale Church Podcast. My name is Max Terman. I am your moderator and I am joined this week by Pentecost Trivia Champion, Bill Cowell. By Worship Director, Scott Reed. Yes! <laughs> Yay! And by Youth Intern, Mickey Lang. Oh, yeah. All right! Yeah. Uh, Mickey, would you uh, start us off with prayer, please? Sure thing. Lord God, I thank you for this time we have just to... Uh, explore the different facets of your word and to have a conversation about it. Uh, and I thank you that we're able to have conversation about it. I just ask that you would allow clarity to be with us, wisdom to be with us, um, and levity um, to the extent that we're talking about the most important uh, piece of literature in history. Mm. Uh, yeah, Lord, I just thank you for that. And uh, please bless us. Amen. Amen. Scott? All right. So, would you rather have no knees or no elbows? Mm. I'm going to go knees. I f- I don't know. I like the idea of being able to move my arms. I feel like I use my arms for more things. Sorry, walking. But <laughs> I, I I think we as a society have come up with more workarounds for not having knees than not having elbows. I agree. Whoa. I would miss running, but yeah. something could work out. I could still be ambulatory but no elbows Ooh, I'm not sure I'd be able to use my hands very much if I don't have elbows not to you could I mean you get this right. you could run like those the people who had the prosthetic legs before um, or like the fully prosthetic legs mm-hmm. uh, I don't know if they're still this way but for a long time they just like locked the knees and then they did this kind of like the swivel yeah thing. exactly so you could still do that well I this shows how bad it was for this particular race. I I was cramping up horribly, and two young women with prosthetic legs were in front of me. They looked like they were in their late 20s at the most, and they were laughing and smiling, and they were so happy. I think they were probably veterans who, mm. I mean, think of it, they're ahead of me in a race. Mm. So they were doing pretty well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mickey? Uh, I would definitely go with no knees. <laughs> I like... To play guitar, and it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah. Without the elbows. So. <laughs> Just play a very tiny guitar. That's out true. Here. <laughs> out here. <laughs> well, I also got to go with no knees because I also enjoy playing guitar. Yeah. Um, but I do love the idea of sitting down with no knees. And your legs are just <laughs> shot out no matter where they are. They could kind of. Yeah, you can kind of angle yourself depending yeah. on how you're sitting. You can kind of slide off the chair. Yeah. Uh, let's get to the topic of the week. Topic of the week this week is brought to you by the Silent Retreat. Mm. The world may have ended, but Bloomingdale youth <laughs> events have not. Mm. The Silent Retreat is a chance for students to escape the noise of Zoom, social media, family, friends, and the rest of the world to learn to listen for the gentle whisper of God's voice. We will spend increasing amounts of time in silence and solitude, reading the Bible, praying, and listening. The cost is $15 with scholarships available and will include food and supplies for the weekends. 
The Silent Retreat, July 31st through August 2nd. To register and learn more, visit bloomingdalechurch.org slash silentretreat. Uh, Mickey, that retreat has been a long time in the making. Yeah. Uh, for my internship, that's one of my big projects is uh, a retreat of some sort. And hmm. I'm the one responsible for planning and execution. So Why silent? Uh, well, I don't know if you've noticed, but... <laughs> Our, our wireless devices seem to be attached to us at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, so we tend to distract ourselves from what God's trying to tell us just by by way of distraction, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, or just even news. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, just want to get away from it so that we can actually learn to hear what God's saying to us. What's the, like, response been from the youth in the lead-up to it? Uh, reticent. <laughs> um, I've had I've had a couple of parents come up and be like, I don't know if my student can handle this. Like thirty minutes alone without their phone is is going to be hard for them. But I mean, it's the word's just really starting to get out there. So hmm. now, their uh, students are asked to leave their devices, their phones, their laptops, whatever, like at home. Yeah, no yeah. music players, no nothing. Nothing. We'll just have. The breeze, hopefully, and uh, the sound <laughs> of the trees and whatever squirrels are attacking each other on the property. Nice. <laughs> For entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. When I was a kid, you went to camp that way. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. big thing you had to leave behind was your transistor radio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so you'd have a whole week, no telephone. I mean, not that you carried them with you in those days. They were just on a cord. Right. right. But there was nothing, no television, it really was refreshing, honestly. Of course, yeah. that that was a generation, and we played outside all day, and TV was nothing but reruns in the summertime anyway. Mm. And th- this is kind of funny to hear that, yeah, whoa, the kid can't go a half an hour. Oh, and we went seven days, and nobody really got a medal for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, uh, it struck me. I, I had a class with a professor who did a silent retreat in his church when he was leading a youth group. And I thought that's exactly what our students need mm-hmm. um, because we're so inundated with media from all angles. We just we need to stop mm-hmm. for, for even just a moment so that we can take a breath. Now, is yeah. that on site? Yeah, that'll be on site. It'll be probably in the grassy areas uh, around the campus and under the, the big trees that we have. Sure. Are they going home at night? Yeah, uh, that's the only downfall. That's hard. Is that they don't get completely disconnected. The hope was to do like a trip away where we went camping, Mm -hmm. but unfortunately, most campgrounds won't allow for group camping. Yeah. Maybe you require that they bring their phones and then you take them and then they leave them Mm. here. (laughs) Then you've always got the one student though who's like, I have two phones. Here's one of them. Yeah, here's my fake one. My tablet. Yeah. Six computers. Yeah. Yeah. Well, for Topic of the Week, we're talking about the book of Jeremiah. Mickey, uh, a couple weeks ago, you said that you could talk for hours about Jeremiah. Um, Bill loves Jeremiah, uh, so we're going to put that to the test. Um, I don't know very much about the book, uh, but there's no time like the present to start sort of a periodic new series, um, just examining different books of the Bible uh, as individuals. Um, To start off, can I ask, you know, what is the core purpose of the book of Jeremiah, if you had to distill it down? Uh, I've always felt that Jeremiah is this this opening of God's heart for his people, um, where he says, I've told you time and time and again 
that you've agreed to follow me and now these are the consequences that I laid out for you. And I am upset. God's just heartbroken and utterly irritated and frustrated with his people. Um, but there's also hope. Like, it's not going to last forever. And so in my conversations, I've seen or I've heard people say that God's like this kid with a magnifying glass just waiting to burn the ants. Mm-hmm. But that's not how it is. God's been so patient with his people. Mm. I mean, from... I'm thinking back to my OT survey, my Old Testament survey, 2166 with Abraham, all through up until uh, 4 4 BC, God's been patient with his people, waiting for just the right time and allowing them to make mistakes over and over and over and over again, allowing them to just spit in his face over and over and over again without just wiping them off the planet like he did with Noah. Mm -hmm. And that's because he promised not to do that. Mm. And... Yeah, so Jeremiah is this broken-hearted God, Yahweh, who is just weeping over his children and their choice to sin. Sure. It's funny because I was going to say, like, yeah, it really humanizes God. Mm-hmm. But it's like, well, that's who God is. Like, mm-hmm. we're built in the image of God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, was, I was tempted to say that, too. and then, But no, it's, yeah. it makes us look like God. Sure. How does it, how does it go about doing that? Well, in like even the first couple of chapters, you can see God talking to Jeremiah, and he says in very strong language that uh, Israel and Judah have gone after idols uh, in such a way to call them prostitutes, to call mm-hmm. them whores. Mm-hmm. And he says it over and over again. The Israelites, to call yeah. the Israelites yeah. prostitutes. Yeah. He compares the whole situation to like a wedding ceremony, mm-hmm. um, to a marriage yeah. where... An unfaithful, an unfaithful wife will leave her husband, mm-hmm. and will her husband take him, take her back? Mm-hmm. And the question's kind of just out there lingering. But the answer that you're looking for is no. Like, mm-hmm. why should he? Sure. But then later on in Jeremiah, you see, yeah, I will take you back. God says that to His people. Uh, I will take you back. You're going to have to face the consequences of what you've said and what you've done, and the sins that you've committed. But it's not going to last forever. Like, I love you and I will take you back. So where, when is Jeremiah written? Where does it sit in sort of the biblical narrative? Well, 587 BC, Jerusalem falls Mm -hmm. and is taken captive. And Jeremiah is before that to a degree because he's been telling them, this is going to happen. This is going to happen. And the false prophets are saying, no, it's not. God's going to bail us out. You watch. So he's very unpopular, Jeremiah is, because he's telling them bad news, but it's true. Mm. And then they are taken to captivity, and Jeremiah writes a letter to the Hebrew people who are in Babylon, and they read it in the company of those false prophets. Mm. Those false prophets probably felt as tiny as... A microscopic ant because they've been exposed yet again. Hmm. So I think in rough terms, you could say from 600 BC all the way down to his death, which it looks like he lived a pretty long life. So maybe he worked until maybe 540 BC. Mm -hmm. And then that's when Daniel reads Jeremiah, the prophet, and comes across the prophecy, 70 years you'll be in captivity. And he realizes, 
well, I've been here almost 70 years. Mm. It's time to start praying mm. to, to be released. Mm. And, and that's part of the background to that phenomenal verse in Jeremiah 29, 11. I know the plans I have for you. Well, the preceding verse to that is after 70 years has been fulfilled, and I just am blown away. The Bible has prophecies that are very exact, literally fulfilled, and mm-hmm. Not murky, where you say, "What is he saying?" It's 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 very different than reading Nostradamus, for instance. Sure. With, I mean, I think the the verse that I'm most familiar with is that, you know, I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. How does that fit into sort of this narrative of God's pain, right, and and God's uh, brokenheartedness? You know, I I think. Uh, there's been a lot made about taking that verse out of context and like slapping it on, you know, Twitter or mm. or, or Instagram um, with a nice background. So how does that promise and and like you said, you know, talking about them being in exile, how does that fit into sort of the broader context of Jeremiah? Well, I think uh, my understanding of it comes from fatherhood mm. um, and just being really required to to discipline my children Mm. like look this hurts Mm. a lot and you're not gonna like it and you have now been through a lot of it but like it's for your own good Mm. um i feel like i've seen that verse jeremiah 29 11 taken out of contest like i'm gonna succeed at everything Mm -hmm. it's gonna be great i'm Mm -hmm. gonna have everything that i ever wanted and to an extent that's true as long as your heart and your mind are aligned with what God wants. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But if they're not, then you're mm. going to face the hardship that Israel and Judah faced, where they're removed from the land that was promised from them for a time because they're being punished. The armies of the north are going to come down, and basically the swords of those armies have the names of Israel and Judah on them. And you're going to lose some friends, you're going to lose some family, but overall it's too to refine you. Mm. Uh, and at the end, of the end, the end game is to, to be of one mind and one heart with God. At which point you start to realize, well, if God is all good, then this is all good as well. Mm. I've been thinking about um, this as, especially as you've been sharing Mickey, this idea that God um, cannot compromise his holiness mm-hmm but he also chooses to leave doors open for the, his people to come back to him always. And I was, uh, we were talking about this a little bit before the start of the podcast. Uh, I was reading Leviticus today and I watched the, uh, the Bible project video about Leviticus cause those videos are awesome. Um, and they pointed out something that even though, so I'm reading this for ordination and I'm trying to read the Bible in 90 days. So I'm reading big chunks every day. And we talked about that a week or two ago about this like context, which is super helpful. Even though I'm doing that, I totally would have missed this without the Bible project pointing it out. At the end of Exodus, or near the end of Exodus, as we're all pretty familiar, the Israelites make the golden calf, and that's a big, bad thing that they did, (laughs) and God is very upset with them. And so because of the sin of the people, um, Moses, who's been their representative uh, to God and from God, um, can no longer go into the presence of God. God's not compromising on his holiness. At the start of Leviticus it says God spoke to Moses from the tent. Moses couldn't go into the tent. And then Leviticus outlines the ways that God left the door open 
for them to come back into his presence. He didn't wipe them out uh, as he could have, but he chose not to. Uh, and so he provided these these rituals, these sacrifices, all these different things. And then what is super cool, and I haven't gotten there yet, but again, I'm so glad that it was pointed out to me, was they conclude the video by saying, so how does Leviticus fit into the bigger picture? Well, at the start of Numbers, the next book, it says God spoke to Moses in the tent. Hmm. And so it was like the things that God instituted were working. And hmm. uh, I just think that's so cool that, yeah, cover to cover, we see God in this role of like, I'm not going to let you get away with this, quote unquote. I'm not going to leave sin unpunished, but I'm also still, I still love you and mm-hmm. I still want to be in relationship with you. Mm. And isn't that just the, the whole point of the entire Bible? Right. Why is it necessary to show God's uh, pain, right? Why is it necessary to show God's suffering and show the way our sin like hurts him? Mickey, earlier you said, you know, people think of God as this, you know, the kid standing over the anthill waiting to magnify and glass them to death. Um, and and he's just he's so much more than his wrath and he's he's not just this i don't know there's just this wall of like force mm-hmm. in the world that's like we keep hearing that he's good but then he just keeps killing people like like he's he's a, he's a person mm-hmm. um and he's not reactionary uh if he were the world would no longer exist mm-hmm. um but he is he he feels and so his his yeah, it 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 paints his it paints the judgment in a different light. I think to to understand God's sorrow, which helps you understand Him as a person. Yeah, it reminds me of Job of the idea, um, and and actually Romans uh, nine, I think it is, of this idea of like, can we understand God? And the answer is like sometimes, mm-hmm. and in some ways we can relate to Him. In other ways, uh, we can't possibly. So in Romans, Paul says, you know, he's talking about uh, God telling Pharaoh that he's going to harden his heart, right? And then he says, you know, many of you ask, like, why would God harden some people's hearts and 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 not others, right? Abound in others. And his response is like, how, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> like, <laughs> you know, I, I only understand the parts of God that are most relevant to me as a human. Um, I don't see the bigger picture of why, but I do think that emotional empathy with God helps understand uh, like the need. Um, But also to me, it's like, oh, I get to see that it's not just black and white. It's not just, you know, God, God destroying the world over and over again or really wanting to, but it starts to answer that question of like, well, if we do suck so much, which we do, like, why is God not just giving up? Mm -hmm. And the answer is like, because he loves us, mm-hmm. and and because and he, and he shows that through his agony and through his, you know, sadness, um, at the way that we relate to him and the the way that we interact with him. Who is the prophet who God commands to marry a prostitute? Hosea. Hosea. Um, Gomer. His his wife's name. Gomer. Mm-hmm. Gomer. Oh. Yeah. Gomer the prostitute. <laughs> I see those two as very similar as well. Where, like, where does it seems like the answer is everywhere? But if you could be specific, like, where does Jeremiah echo throughout the rest of the Bible? Like in the literature that goes forward from Jeremiah. I mean, you said Romans nine, mm-hmm. and it wouldn't surprise me at all if Paul was like, "Oh yeah, the prophet Jeremiah," because he <laughs> he starts talking about a potter 
and how a potter mm-hmm. decides to use his clay. And mm-hmm. Jeremiah talks about that as well. Hmm. Um, it's like some some pots, they don't do what the potter wanted. Yeah. And so he reshapes them and reforms them or throws them away. Yeah. One pot's used for a beautiful vase and one's used for garbage. just garbage. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there's that. Um, another part, uh, it was just a small, I think it was only like two verses. I can't remember which chapter it was. The Lord is telling Jeremiah not to mourn for the people. Hmm. And uh, he says, bread won't be broken with them and the cup won't be shared with them. And it, like, that's it. And I thought immediately, what about communion? Mm-hmm. Like, we break the bread. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, something just clicked in my head. I was like, communion is a, it's a, it's a tradition of mourning over what's about to mm-hmm. happen uh, to Jesus, but it's also a tradition of hope. But here in Jeremiah, God's saying, look, that's not going to happen. You're not, you're not allowed to mourn because they brought this upon themselves. So no bread will be broken and no cup will be shared with them. Mm-hmm. I just found that to be a very peculiar parallel. Sure. That makes me think of, um, you know, a lot of the time, uh, this actually happens in uh, Ezekiel. I don't remember the passage, but a lot of the time in the Old Testament, we see God forecast these judgments, very like ultimate judgments on his people. You know, he says things like, this is not going to happen, or this is going to happen. And in Ezekiel, we see him say, this is going to happen. And it sounds very, very final. And then he says, unless you turn back. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like this, and it's not, a, the way it's phrased, and unfortunately I'm doing a poor job um, presenting it because I don't have the passage in front of me. But the way that it's phrased, it's not like, this will happen unless you do this. It's like, this is going to happen, period. And then like a little bit later, it's like, or you could turn back to me. So it's really interesting that God passes these judgments. And Max, you were saying um, this idea of why hasn't God, you know, why does God put up with all of this? And uh, there's a passage in, in Roman, or a verse in Romans 3 where it says that, um, you know, God's righteousness is proven through Jesus Christ because for so long he abstained from punishing sin. Hmm. Um, and so as I see these ultimate judgments that God forecasts for his people but doesn't seem to follow through on, he keeps giving them a second chance, all of those judgments were like were poured out on Jesus Christ. Hmm. And so every time God talks about like the separation and, and the wrath and all of these things that seem so ultimate, but then don't ever come to full fruition with his people, it's because he's... he's He's protecting them from it, and then he pours it out on Jesus, mm. which just, when you when you start to see the sorrow of God and understand the judgment of God and all this all this power and, and the wrath that it's his disposal, and then he doesn't, he do, he brings the, the Israelites back seven sure. years later. That's not that long. Yeah. Um, all of it was poured out on Jesus. Is it reading into it too much to say that combined in his mourning and his his pain at the actions of the people of Israel is also his pain at the understanding of what it will take to bring them back. Hmm. Is that a bridge too far? I don't think so. Does God mourn for the death of Jesus? Does God the Father mourn for the death of Jesus? I, I would say he does. Yeah. I mean, if you've got a God who is outside of time, then... I mean, I only say this out of speculation. Sure. Uh, he's he's got to be able to experience and know, being omniscient, what's what's going to come. Mm. And I mean, he even outlines the ending in Revelation 
Like, this is how it's going to end. You might not understand everything I'm saying, but it's going to be epic and I'm going to win. And <laughs> it's, it's still going to be painful. Mm. Bill, you said that Jeremiah can be really hard to understand. Um, that it can be kind of like impenetrable sometimes. <laughs> yes. I'm thinking of the per person listening to this podcast thinking, golly, I've never even read this book. I've never even read the whole Bible. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to confess to you, when I was pretty young, I was trying to read the Bible through, and I got to Jeremiah, and that's where I just finally fainted. I just mm-hmm. couldn't go any further. Leviticus, Numbers, they beat me up. By the time Jeremiah came along, it was just like, I can't take it anymore. Right, yeah. So if you're one of those kind of Bible readers, I understand that. <laughs> it's the hardest book that I've ever read. I had to go back multiple times and be like, okay, we're going to make it this time. We can do this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. it was. I think I was at a pretty low point when I started reading it and hit chapter two and three. And I was like, oh, mm. oh. Mm. This is God's heart for me. Well, let's keep going. <laughs> I, I took some real help from the very first chapter and the fifth verse. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Ah, sovereign Lord, I said, I do not know how to speak. I'm only a child. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. So the knowledge of God and his foreknowledge and choosing Jeremiah, even from the womb, you think, wow, this is really, really impressive. Um, And then it hit me, actually, God can say this same thing to every single mm-hmm. one of us. Mm-hmm. He, it's not like, I knew Jeremiah before he was in the womb. But, but who are you? Who, Max? <laughs> I just can't remember that name for some reason. <laughs> it's, it's not the way he operates. I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Right. <laughs> it's interesting that there's, when you were reading that, what it made me think about was like, I know these people. I know you. I have a right to mm-hmm. mourn. I have a right to be hurt. It's not just like I stumbled upon this group of people and was like, oh, cool, you'll be my people and I'll be your God. (laughs) It's like I made you, I know you, I've always known you, Mm -hmm. and I've always known that you were going to hurt me like this. You're a people because of what I did. Yeah, (laughs) You wouldn't even exist if I hadn't given Sarah a child. (laughs) And so I am, if anyone has a right to be hurt and to mourn and to to be in pain because of the things that you're doing, it's me. What's like necessary to, to continue? I, I want to follow that track, Bill, of like if you've never read Jeremiah, which I don't think I'd read it all the way through until the Bible Breakfast Club. Like, okay. So I guess that's like eight months ago or something was mm-hmm. probably uh, when in the schedule we read through it. What, do, what is like, do you have any advice for somebody who hits Jeremiah and just collapses and can't do it anymore, who's been hit by numbers and exodus and just says like (laughs) this is just one too many like you know what is necessary for it to make sense what do you have to like remember or keep in mind i think the best thing to do is simply to be on your knees and say all right lord i don't understand this will you speak to me will you guide me Mm -hmm. 
That's the way Spurgeon, who read 12,000 books, operated. And he was a mega genius. And mm. still he said, when you see a scripture you don't understand, appeal to the Holy Spirit to give you enlightenment. Mm. And I think that's the best advice there is. Yeah, I mean, knowledge of God can come through uh, just the nature that he's put in front of us, mm -hmm. the trees, the people, the way we interact, uh, like chemistry, physics, math. Um, but as easy as it is to perceive, and as quickly as a child can grasp the gospel, there are so many deep things that just escape us, and without the help of the Holy Spirit, it's, mm. it's never going to happen. And what's really cool for me to be in Bible Supper Club, Bible Breakfast Club, Bible in 90 Days, to be at a table with somebody who's reading it for the first time, listening to them talk about it, and realizing, I never thought of that before. That is a great insight. That is really, really deep. Yeah. It shows how God really does speak to all of us through his Holy Spirit and can point out something to, to somebody like me who's been in the Bible all my life through somebody who's maybe read it for the very first time just an hour ago, <laughs> you know, read that book for yeah, the yeah, first yeah. time. Yeah. Going back to, to, to Romans, like you said, you know, mm. seeing God all around us um, might be seven uh, I've been reading a chapter of Romans a day, so I'm like, what day was that? Was that Monday? Uh, he talks about creation is groaning, mm -hmm. right? Creation is longing for the day when it is safe from decay and destruction. Mm -hmm. And you talk about the natural beauty. I mean, obviously, you know, the Romans were dealing with a lot of worship of nature and worshiping the created instead of the creator. But looking at just the amazing, you know, I grew up in Seattle. We have just amazing sunsets over there um over the <laughs> over the puget sound and and mm. mountains and everything and and here we have also like just those the amazing like 80 degree evenings where you can walk around like it's the middle of the day at mm -hmm. 9 p.m yeah. um and to see that nature itself is longing for the fulfillment of of god's promise that everything will be made whole um but that God also looks at that nature and says the sin of man has brought death to these trees, has mm -hmm. brought death to these animals, has brought death to these mountains. Like the things that I created are also stained by that. So like he's also mourning for that. Mm -hmm. He's also mourning for the beauty that we see around us. So I'm grateful for Jeremiah because I can't think off the top of my head of any book that's so, as you said, Mickey, so honestly portrays the breaking of God's heart and so well contextualizes the sin in my life, but also just the sin in the world and helps me look at the sin that I see around me and inside me and the impact, the consequence it has on the world and why, you know, why God, not even why, that God feels the way that he does about it. He's not just like, that's bad. And I'm just so like, too bad. Those are the rules. Sorry. Like, he's like, no, come on. Like, I made you better than this. Yeah. And I will make you perfect again. But in the meantime, it breaks my heart. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the key things that Jeremiah talks about is the idolatry that Israel and Judah have taken part in. And he's like, you, you take this rock and you shape it. Mm. 
and then you worship it mm-hmm. as if it's going to do something. And just over the past few months, I've I've been looking at uh, different religions, different uh, like moral philosophies, and how people come up with these things, and why it seems to be such such a gravity well for so many people. Um, and one, I think it's because it's convenient and you can see a lot of these things. And so like, if I can see it, then it's easy to trust in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other thing is, I think they're actually seeing uh, slivers of the attributes of God and they're mm-hmm. like, wow, that is good. And they're right. Mm-hmm. But then they're like, that's where it stops. Yeah. There's nothing beyond that. This is the good thing. So I'm going to worship the good thing or I'm going to aspire for the good thing. Um, and that's good enough for me because I see it. Yeah. Uh, and Morgan, my wife, loves Bollywood movies. <laughs> uh, and so uh, one in particular, uh, I'm going to butcher the name, Rob Nabana de Jodi. Okay. Um, one of the, the songs in it is I See, I see My God in You. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, because we don't speak Hindi, uh, we read the subtitles and we, we're just like, oh, yeah. That's such a beautiful thing to say, like regardless of whether it comes from a flawed, uh, a flawed theology, mm-hmm. like we're created in the image of God mm-hmm. and to recognize that is a beautiful thing and to acknowledge that is a good thing, but you have to realize that it goes beyond just seeing a, a piece of God. Um, and that's what Jeremiah says too, like, I created these things. And in Job, he says it to Job. Where were you when I created the Leviathan? And uh, yeah, it's just, it's amazing to see that God has created all of these things and he's poured himself into this creation, specifically human beings. And because we decided at the first with Adam and Eve, and we continually decide to follow our own paths instead of him, we just were short-sighted. There's this section that's messianic in Jeremiah, and all I've been able to find so far is one extremely clear verse. Jeremiah 30, verse 8 says, In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, I will break the yoke off their necks and will tear off their bounds. No longer will enemies enslave them. Instead, they will serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. I think, well, David's been dead for almost 200 years. He's talking about the Messiah. And you could look at it as he's even speaking of his resurrection, whom I will raise up for them. And that's one of the neat things about Jeremiah, that in this section from 30 to 32, there are messianic verses I know there's a whole section on it, and I'm trying to find that whole section. I think it's in chapter 32. Just really cool that God gives Jeremiah this word. He speaks it. And even though I've read it maybe 20 times where it just went right over my head, thankfully due to the moody handbook of messianic (laughs) prophecies edited by Michael Rydelnik. Available on Amazon. Man, oh, man. They, they just point out Jesus in the scriptures like I've never seen him before. And I think, wow, this is something else. There's just no other book like the Bible. Hmm. I, I'm reading Herodotus right now. He's one of the great yeah. classic historians. And 
this is part of the great books of the Western world. And to compare Herodotus to Jeremiah, man, it's like comparing Vinnie Castillo to Babe Ruth. I mean, there's just no comparison. I don't know who Vinnie Castillo is. They're both <laughs> baseball players, but mm, nobody even remembers Vinnie Castillo, but that's everybody knows who Babe Ruth is. <laughs> and that, that's what's going to happen when the world comes to a close. Nobody's going to remember Shakespeare, for instance. They're going to remember the scriptures. Hmm. And Shakespeare's sort of like the best we got. <laughs> we yeah. push him in the middle. All right, how about that for inspired writing? And God says, uh, Hang yeah. take a look at this. I see your Shakespeare and yeah. I raise you. The Apostle Paul. Well, so you got talking about messianic uh, references uh, in Jeremiah is, is sort of where I wanted to end. Um, with that question that I love so much and we talk about so much on this show of where is Jesus in this? And we've shown, I think each of us at one point during the conversation has referenced where Jesus like fits into this. So I guess the question is really, where is Jesus most visible in Jeremiah, whether that's a chapter or a verse or a theme or, you know, however you want to interpret that. But as we do, assuming that the Bible is one focused document, so to speak, what does Jeremiah, where, where is Jeremiah, where is Jesus most visible in Jeremiah? Um, well, uh, I was looking for messianic themes as Bill was talking, and uh, I highlighted one in Jeremiah chapter 12, and it's verses 14 through 17. And this this set of verses, I think it really um, it envelops the whole world. Suddenly, this isn't just for um, those of Abraham's lineage who have been included in, in God's people. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it for you. Uh, it says, Thus says the Lord concerning all my evil neighbors who touch the heritage that I have given my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them up from their land, and I will pluck up the house of Judah from among them. And after I have plucked them up, I will again have compassion on them, and I will bring them again, each to his heritage and each to his land. And it shall come to pass, if they diligently learn the ways of my people, to swear by my name as the Lord lives, even as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then they shall be built up in the midst of my people. And if any nation will not listen, then I will utterly pluck it up and destroy it, declares the Lord. I mean, he begins this passage by saying, these are the evil nations who have been harassing, killing, displacing my people. And they're going to be part of this inheritance at the very end mm. because they've chosen to follow me. That's beautiful. It is beautiful. I, I found the one I was looking for. In Jeremiah 33 Verses 15 and 16, the Lord is speaking, and he says, In those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line. He will do what is just and right in the land. In those days, Judah will be saved, and Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called, the Lord our righteousness. It's a second coming prophecy because Jerusalem is not really living in safety right. yet. And we've got all these 
great power-packed names that are the names of Jesus Christ, the righteous branch, a sprout from David's line. I mean, it's unmistakable. All this is talking about the Messiah, Jesus Christ. You really can't miss it unless you're Bill Calvin and you've read it 20 times and you said, yeah, just kind of just breezed over it. So, so don't feel badly if you miss it. It's, it's really an art to finally get your eyes focused enough to say, oh, I've only been missing the major point here. <laughs> and I mean, you say you've read it 20 times and it takes that many times to just get a grasp of what you're looking at too sometimes. Like you can read through the Bible and be like, oh man, I just read through Leviticus. I have to follow how many rules <laughs> or numbers? How many people died? <laughs> right. That's a lot of people. Uh, or even when you get into like Paul's letters and you're like, this guy talks like a lawyer. And it's because he basically is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's laying out this case for Christ that um, is so intricate and bases so much on uh, all of the Old Testament that you have to have a knowledge of it. And so you're going to have to read through it over and over and over again in order to start to make the connections. I think the Bible Project calls them hyperlinks, where mm. they go back and forth from the New and the Old Testament, and they're like, yeah, it's back to creation, where God made this promise, or it's up here to the New Testament, where mm. this promise is fulfilled. And God's created this book, which outshines Shakespeare by far and away. Right. Um, which you can study your whole life and still, even on your deathbed, find new information that brings you hope and joy in the mm -hmm. fact that God is who he says he is. Amen. Amen. Which is what I take joy in. Yeah. If, if the Bible was so shallow that... You could solve it. You read it and you just say, okay, I'm done with that. What does that say about the nature of God? Mm -hmm. How mm -hmm. much substance does he have? Does mm -hmm. he have any depth? But because the Bible is something that People with IQs that are 100 points higher than mine have read, in Spurgeon's case, he read the Bible through 200 times. He only lived to be 57. And he, as best I can tell, he had it all memorized from the first word to the last because he had a photographic memory, it looks like. Mm. I just read a Spurgeon sermon where he is reciting all kinds of verses that end with the words, to the ends of the earth that I will give you the ends of the earth as your possession. So he just starts, and it's like two complete pages of verses from Genesis. He finally quits in Zechariah. <laughs> but, but you know, he's just getting steam up. He's refraining from going into the New Testament yeah. with it. So if a man like Spurgeon is just drinking it in and saying there's just no bottom to this ocean, what a great word of hope for all of us that... Yeah. Don't be discouraged that you don't understand it. Be encouraged that these are waters you can really swim in and mm -hmm. dive in and never get to the bottom and, and realize this is your God. God is even greater than the Word, but he gave us a Word so we could get a glimpse of what he's like. Yeah. Um, I think, you know, Mickey kind of opened up the discussion of Jeremiah today by talking about how it's a book that really displays God's broken heart for his people. Mm -hmm. um, and we see, you know, as as Jeremiah, and at this point in history, the Israelites have just screwed up so many times. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they they were they were a person. They were Abraham and his wife Sarah, and, and they screwed up. And then they were 
his son Jacob, or Isaac, sorry. They were Isaac, uh, and then they were Jacob, and Jacob screwed up a million times. And then they were a family, and they screwed up. And then they were a people in Egypt, and I'm sure they screwed up, but it doesn't talk too much about that until they're out of Egypt, and then they immediately screwed up. And then they didn't have kings, they had judges, and they screwed up. And then they were a nation, and they screwed up so much that they broke in half. And then all of their kings were evil except for like two. And it's just hundreds and hundreds of years of history of these people failing and failing and failing and failing again and then failing some more and thinking they're doing a really great job while they're doing it. Mm. Um, And yet, throughout this whole time, God has not given up on them. He's not ceased to love them. And even here, at the end of their national history in many ways, Israel, I believe, has already fallen when Judah falls. Israel fell yes. first. Yeah. yeah Israel has already fallen. The northern kingdom has already fallen. And now Judah is about to fall to Babylon. And what happens? They get brought back seven years later. And then they have they get to rebuild. And it's just, it's amazing how many opportunities God has given them and how he hasn't given up on them. Uh, and we see in Jeremiah God's broken heart that through this whole process, he's not uh he's not just this well of anger, and he's also not um you know, just like a neglectful parent that just like, oh, do whatever you want. Like, I don't really care. Mm-hmm. Like, he's neither of those things. He cares so, so much. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he continues to give them second chances so that they can grow and his legacy in the world can grow so that eventually the time will come when the whole world has seen how often Israel has failed. I mean, don't... The, the nations around them know that they're this really wishy-washy people where they talk about Yahweh, but then they also come over and worship Dagon. or Like, they see it. Everyone Mm -hmm. sees it. And then Jesus comes, Mm. and everything changes. And so Jeremiah is, as I said earlier, uh, which is why I'm just repeating myself, it it shows God's heart for his people, as Mickey said, which culminates in Jesus. God's heart for his people is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world, and he so loved his people— screwed up as they were, that he sent his only son to die on their behalf. Mm-hmm. That was beautifully said. Mm. Amen. Well said, Scott. While he was speaking, I was thinking, he pointed out all the ways that the Jews failed, and I'm thinking, and the Jews are about the best we got in the whole world. <laughs> <laughs> Who, who's won more Nobel Prizes than the Jews? They're just really an amazing, tiny little group it's obviously the hand of God on their lives. I mean, nobody this tiny can have that many Nobel Prizes and Hmm. have that many doctors that actually help you and that many (laughs) tremendous professors and tremendous writers and just think tremendous comedians. I mean, they're just just an amazing people. Hmm. For a future podcast episode, does God still bless the Jews more than, like, is are they still his people, his chosen people in 2020? Does that yes. have, like, big practical implications? Well, when he said, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you, but that's going to die out around 70 AD. No, he, that, that is not what he said. It, that was an ongoing covenant. Yeah, I mean, you read throughout the New Testament that Christ came first to the Jews and then mm-hmm. to the Gentiles, and, like, they're never taken out of the picture and even in Revelation, it's uh, Israel and Jerusalem that are talked about that are this focal point of renewal and rebuilding. Yeah. And so, yeah, I would say so. Yeah. Paul says, what advantage has the Jew then? Much in every way. 
Oh, perfect. We don't need to do that episode. <laughs> uh, this is a, a segment that we haven't done in a long time. <laughs> They're not that hot in basketball. Well, <laughs> <laughs> this is a segment we haven't done in a long time. Dunk on uh, those my colleagues them. rock. Um, hey. It's time we bring that back. Uh, it's just a chance that uh, we have to kind of brag about the amazing people that we get to work with. And I'll start off by saying, Mickey, uh, you and Daniel Wright, um, every Tuesday night I get to hear you guys talking to the, all the guys in the, in the youth group. Um, it sounds like a lot of fun. Oh, yeah, just ragging on each other. Exactly. <laughs> and like somebody's trying to talk about Minecraft and yep. all this stuff is going on. And it sounds so cool. So I get to, I get to listen to that from sometimes the kitchen table and sometimes the, the back office. And um, yeah, that, it sounds, if I was, you know, 16, I would want to be a part of that group. Mm. So... I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, you don't really well, like people. <laughs> well, that's not fair. <laughs> <laughs> Only some people. Only. <laughs> I mean, I don't like you, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I'm weighing projecting. a couple of people in my mind right now. But, but I'm going to go with one I don't think I've mentioned yet. Chelsea Reinhold. Never heard of her. All right. And, and the reason is... <laughs> Chelsea is standing in the parking lot with me on Sunday morning, and I'm greeting everybody by name, and she's, she's memorizing their names as I call them out, mm. looking in the window, trying to learn who they are. Mm-hmm. And I think, oh, good. That's, that's the way love flows through a church. It's a mm. very simple thing to say, well, the least I can do is learn their name and mm. call them by name the next time I see them. But... I don't see very many people trying to do that. So a big shout out to Chelsea. Yeah. I'm going to go with Gavin Anderson. Hey. Um, that guy is one of the most selfless high schoolers I've ever, I've oh. ever come into contact with. And recently he's been pulling weeds all over the building because he doesn't have to clean the building anymore because mm-hmm. nobody's really uni- using it. But... Um, we've driven by a couple times. I think we went on donut day and got him a donut and he was like, Oh no, no, no thanks. I'm good. We're like, but we got you a donut. Like, no, <laughs> but it's no already thanks. here. Yeah. <laughs> um, you can but eat but it he's right a runner. Now. Yeah, that's <laughs> true. Yeah. That is true. That's true. I'm, not, I'm not supposed to eat this. Yeah, <laughs> that is true. I we need to remember to translate. Um, but yeah, he, uh, Adrian loves him too. But every time he sees him out pulling weeds, he'll like rush to the window and be like, right. "Can I go say hey to Gavin?" <laughs> and we asked him a few weeks ago, "Who's your favorite person?" He's like, "Gavin." <laughs> Who's that guy who weed? Gavin. Yeah. <laughs> and so I mean, but he's always kind. He's always mm-hmm. willing to answer questions. He'll mm-hmm. stop in the middle of the heat to mm-hmm. tell me that he's got plans to go to Wisconsin, and I'm like, "Dude, just." Tell me to go away. <laughs> I'll let you get back to your work. But no, Gavin Anderson, mm. he's, uh, he's a five-star guy. Oh. Like, three, like three weeks ago, it was just like a torrential downpour that <laughs> Friday. And I'm standing under the portico like, I call Scott. I'm like, we're going to lunch. I'm like, can you come pick me up in the portico? I don't want to get wet. And then I like turn to my right. Gavin Anderson is just drenched in the mud, weedy. And I'm like, oh. Yeah, mm. oh, I saw that. There's oh a lesson in this. <laughs> <laughs> um well i'll do a couple quick ones because i just there's a couple people that uh first uh daniel riemann schneider and i were putting a breakout room today for our practice gospel sharing thing and mm-hmm. i just 
I always appreciate one-on-one time with Daniel. He's always mm. got really good. He's really good at asking questions. He's really good at affirming things. He's just he's a good guy. So mm-hmm. thanks, Daniel. Mm. Uh, shout out to uh, my worship leaders who are starting to kind of come back into the picture and. Um, now that we're doing outside church and stuff, and I just really appreciate them and You're welcome. and uh, yes, and the ideas, <laughs> the creativity, and and the joy that they bring to it. And then shout out to uh, Les Petrashevsky, our new buildings mm-hmm. and grounds guy, our newish. I just see him all the time. Yeah. He's just always doing stuff, and yeah. I just I visited him sometime in the last week, and and I thanked him for it, and he was like, for what? And I, he's a <laughs> he's a great guy, and I feel like he's just. I mean, I don't really know because I'm not on the board, and I don't really know what his responsibilities are but i just see him i see him mowing i see him with dom working on the the parking lot stuff i just see him all the time and mm. I, so i just really appreciate all the work that he's putting in for mm. keeping our buildings and grounds you did a great job saying his last name too yeah that yeah. was Those people amazing. just trip right over yeah it, it took well, me a year i had this great advantage of uh, when we did the I'm a child of God video for my sermon. He was one of them. <laughs> and so I have that on my computer. And I can listen to <laughs> just it listen to I want to. <laughs> Every night before bed. Um, but okay. really, I mean, okay. just hearing him hearing him say it once, you look at it and you've you got no hope. Mm-hmm. You hear other people say it and you get 17 different answers. <laughs> but hearing him say it, you're like, oh, that's not that hard. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Listeners, if you'd like to be part of the show, you can send questions, would you rather's, trivia quizzes, and pronunciations of your last name to podcast. <laughs> and, of Les's last name. <laughs> and pronunciations of Les's. Can you say it again for the people at Petrushevsky, but with a Polish accent. <laughs> <laughs> to podcast at bloomingdalechurch.org. For our closing segment this week, it is once again time for the end of an era. Mm-hmm. The part of the show where we're not sad that it's over, we're happy that it happened. Mickey, do you know what event in human history happened 46 days ago? Days ago? Mm-hmm. No, I have no idea. It was Pentecost. <laughs> and as we know, after 40 days, the title of trivia champion must evaporate into the ether. Bill... Like manna from heaven. Like manna <laughs> from heaven in after reverse. After it hasn't been collected. After it's right. <laughs> Bill, your tenure... In Mountain Dew. <laughs> like, a, like a mouse in Mountain Dew, it must evaporate. It must Bill, dissolve away. your tenure as Pentecost Trivia Champion was brief, uh, but you ruled with dignity and with grace. Uh, would you please give your farewell address to all the good people listening at home? Is this the out thing? No. I didn't think so. Well, due to Pentecost Sunday, what our thoughts really should be bearing toward is, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? That is what is important. Not that there was a trivia champ, but that the Holy Spirit not only wants to indwell you, but wants to fill you. Mm. Mm. That's my champion. The candles that burn twice as bright burn half as long. Amen. That is all the time we have this week. Thank you, Bill. Thank you, Scott. Thank you, Mickey. Thank you, Max. Mickey, Max, take us home. Lord God, I thank you for today. And uh, yeah, this is a great conversation. I'm glad that uh, you gave us the book of Jeremiah to read. Um, yeah, your Bible is an amazing book. And uh, I just ask that you would create a fire within us to just dive into it, regardless of whether or not we understand every single phrase and word and concept that we come across. In your name, amen. Amen. (laughs) I love when other people take us home. It makes me feel like a bad person.
got plenty of weirdos. Max, there's something I've wanted to read you for a while, but I forgot. I actually wanted to send it to you. I think you'll find this very funny. Is this I find it very funny. Okay. A man sued Pepsi when he found a mouse in his Mountain Dew. Pepsi attorneys stated that Mountain Dew will dissolve a mouse within 30 days <laughs> and showed his can was purchased 74 days after being manufactured. That is hilarious. <laughs> like, impossible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> wow. Does he actually call your dad Grumbly Bear? I think I've asked you this before because I just love it so much. <laughs> I usually have to goad it, but that is hilarious. Look, it's Grumbly Bear. Hey, Grumbly Bear. <laughs> and then he'll grumble. <laughs> like, I probably should have told you this earlier, but I, I wrote a piece, a musical piece surrounding Jeremiah 2 and 3. I didn't know that. Uh, yeah. I, I don't tell many people, but uh, <laughs> it's one of my favorite pieces that I've written. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, I'll get it to you so you can upload it. And, Please. And uh, share it with the world. <laughs> but... Um, like the the emotion behind the piece as I was reading it is just this like pain and sorrow and sadness mm -hmm. and just mm -hmm. deep grieving over his people. Mm -hmm. And I went back and read it over and over again. And I was like, is this just Jeremiah, the quote unquote weeping prophet who's mm -hmm. overly emotional? No, it's God mm. who's extremely emotional over the fact that these people he's chosen have decided man, we don't need to follow what you're saying. Hmm. We know and we agreed to the goodness that you gave us, but we we don't want it. Hmm. We'd rather go with this over here because we can do what we want when we want. 